part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Good morning. How are we? Good. Well, happy Father's Day. On this uh, Father's Day, we're going to take a little break from Ephesians, where we've been for the last several weeks. And uh, being that it's Father's Day, I guess I ought to talk to uh, the dads. But uh, don't worry, ladies, you won't be left out this morning. Uh, I don't want to give you men a uh, one of those one of those Father's Day man up, you know, step it up a level guy talks, right? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get by a little easier this year. In fact, I was looking back at some of my past Father's Day messages, and I I've been I've been uh, surprisingly gracious to you guys over the years. I mean, I really haven't on Father's Day given you one of those man up kind of uh, messages. And you get off easy again this year. There are times uh, when guys need a kick in the pants. Amen, ladies? Maybe more frequently than we get them. But there are also times when uh, when men just need to huddle up and lean on one another and uh, be able to look across the huddle and uh, see the, uh, the sweat coming down another guy's brow, see the, uh, the pain maybe in their eyes, the blood dripping, right? Uh, there were many a times in my, my time playing quarterback, playing football, that I would look across the huddle, and I would think that I got hit the hardest on the last play, and I'd come back to the huddle, and I'd look around that circle, and there'd be guys uh, far worse off than I was. And that does something for you. And we're not going to sit in our misery this morning. That's not, that's not the goal of this morning, to commiserate with one another. That, that, that's not what we're doing. But there is something about, about sharing the burdens and knowing that we're not in this alone. Uh, old movie, some of you have seen Black Hawk Down. Seen that movie? Uh, so it's essentially, if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's, a, it's a war movie. It's a man movie. And um, this consolidated group of the best of the best go in to... Uh, to do a special operation and, and things go bad. A couple helicopters get shot down and now the operation changes and uh, now they have to rescue the ones who went in to rescue. And so things have gone uh, haywire. And uh, at one point in the movie, this colonel, he's leading the uh, convoy of trucks into the city to collect the men and trying to get them out. And as it is in all modern warfare, um, city modern warfare, um, things are never what you expect. And they've got guys shooting at them from every window, behind every column, and it's a, it's a bad deal. And they're driving right down Main Street in the heat of the battle. And guys are getting shot left and right. It's a true story, by the way. And uh, the colonel, uh, played by uh, Tom Sizemore, if you know Tom Sizemore, he has some, some uh, pretty, pretty important roles. He gets the role of the colonel who's leading this convoy in to get everyone out. And uh, he's, been, he's been injured himself. The lead truck in the convoy, the driver is shot and killed. He goes to the lead truck, opens the door, pulls the lifeless body of the driver out, yells to the sergeant in the back, drive the truck, get this convoy out of here. And the sergeant responds, I've been shot. I can't drive. To which the colonel doesn't skip a beat. And he replies back to him, we've all been shot. Drive the truck. And uh, that... That picture, that illustration, that idea of we've all been shot has been used many a time to say 
even in the church. Listen, uh, we've all got something, maybe. It's not happening right now. Maybe you've already gone through your thing. Maybe it's yet to come. But in one way or another, we can all identify with each other. Isn't it good to know that we can identify even with Scripture, that Scripture is not some fairy tale story? You know, if you're not a believer and you're not very familiar with the Word of God, uh, the, one, uh, the one thing I would tell you this morning, if you get nothing else out of this, if the message is lost on you, I would hope that you leave this morning saying, you know, there's something, there's something about that Bible maybe that I've been missing, and maybe it's this, that it doesn't pull any punches. It's not painting a picture of Christianity that's all some rosy, you know, Garden of Eden Christianity. It tells the truth. It tells the truth. The good, the bad, and the ugly truth. Now, the reason that is, that is important and the reason it is beneficial to us is because, well, we can identify. If the Bible were to make Christianity seem like an, a skate in the park, a walk in the park, then, then, then somewhere we would start to see there's a disconnect between my life and what God wants my life to be. No, God wouldn't have us to believe that it's going to be easy. Christianity individually and corporately, it really isn't that complicated. If you boil it down, it really is simple. And by simple, I don't mean simplistic or trite or trivial. By simplistic, I mean that it is, it's, uh, it's just, well, it doesn't have to be complicated. We make it complicated, don't we? Uh, we add layers and layers and religion and denomination and, and all kinds of things to make it more complicated than it is. But if you really boil down Christianity, the walk of Christianity, it, it's simple. God desires for it to be simple for us. But when I say it's simple, that doesn't mean to infer that it's easy. Can you say both? Yeah, I think you can. That while it's designed to be simple, not complicated, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy. There are some difficult parts to our Christianity. There are a few consistent reasons why I think uh, walking out our Christianity is difficult. If you want to write something down, you can write these three things down. There are more, but here are three big reasons why your Christianity is not an easy thing. Number one, your Christianity and my Christianity isn't easy because of our flesh. Our flesh makes it difficult. Amen? I don't know about yours, but mine reeks and it stinks and it raises its ugly head on a daily basis and I have to continually crucify it to the cross. I've got to nail it to the cross. I've got to claim that Jesus has, has dealt with it day after day after day. Those old habits... Those old flesh patterns that have been ingrained in you and I, they want to raise their ugly head day in and day out. And you've got to constantly combat them with the truth. It's a war in and of itself. This war, this battle we fight in Christianity, it's, it's multifaceted. There are many fronts to it. And one of the main fronts, one of the very front lines that you deal with every day is your very own flesh that is yet to be redeemed. You're free from it, but it's yet to be fully redeemed. And so you still drag along, you might... You might uh, think of it this way, this old carcass of your flesh that you're warring against. Paul had to declare war against his flesh. He, he used language that indicated that he wrestled against his flesh. He would, he would bring it into submission like a good WWF wrestler would. That's how Paul lived out his life. So for one, our flesh is the difficulty. Number two, just life's pain is the difficulty. Amen? You need only uh, talk to someone who's been sick, visit a hospital, read the newspaper or watch the six o'clock news to find out that life, life is a bad deal very often. And life throws curveball after curveball at us. 
We live in a fallen world. And we're, to some degree, in a sense, at the mercy of the fallen state of humanity. And we have to deal with that. We war against the fallen humanity of this world and the consequences of sin. And it's wreaking havoc. And many of you have faced in your, in your personal lives just the paddle of life, you might call it, to where you're forced to cling to the cross, to run to your God. Our flesh, life's pain. Let me give you a third one. Spiritual opposition. Spiritual opposition. Scripture would tell us that the, the war, the battle line, the front, is not only against our flesh, it's not only against a fallen sinful world that we have to live within and deal with the economy of a sinful life, um, but it is also a spiritual battle. A real spiritual war is going on. Do you know that? And a lot of times we like to deal simply with what's on the surface. And we never really want to get to the messy, the spiritual, maybe we really are scared to try and figure it out, or we don't even really want to go there because it gets weird sometimes. But there is, Scripture would indicate, a spiritual battle that goes on. And we wage war not against flesh and blood merely. That is a, that is a battlefront. But Scripture would indicate that maybe the primary, the front lines, are really the spiritual battles that are going on. I could have also said not just spiritual opposition, but but Satan's opposition, because we know he is the... He is the the prince of the darkness there. He is the general in charge of warring against us in the spiritual world. And he would have everything be thrown at you that could possibly be thrown at you in your flesh and in this world. He would combine all that together to wage war against us in the spiritual realm to keep us from moving forward. So you've got to deal with your flesh. You've got to deal with life's pain. And you've got to deal with this spiritual, satanic opposition. Those are all true. A guy named Job had to face those, didn't he? All of them. He had to deal with all of them. It's interesting that that's probably the first book that was written in Scripture. Did you know that? Chronologically, Job most likely is the first written. Now, if you think from an argument of primacy, like, okay, if that's the first book of Scripture... That would maybe lend some uh, credence to maybe what is taught there might be very important for us to understand. Well, then you have the life of Job to learn from. And pray God that he is merciful on you and that he guards you from the things of the life of Job. But Job is an example. To a degree, I pray none of us ever experience, but Job is, is an example. And he's a, he's a primary example. He dealt with all of these. You know the answer that Job got? At the outset, it seems as, as if he got no answer at all. But you know the, the answer he got? It's not the answer he necessarily wanted or was looking for, but it was a, a completely sufficient answer. The answer he got was, here I am, Job. I'm God. Take a look at me. And God just pulls the curtain back for a moment and shows Job how big he is. And Job is reminded of the sovereignty and the power and the awe of his creator. In some way, that's enough. some way, that's enough. That's enough for us too, isn't it? We often forget about that God, don't we? The things we learn about God over time, sometimes in the heat of the moment, sometimes in the heat of battle, those things that we know to be true about our God, that we know should be true about us, they kind of fly out the window, don't they? And all we see is what's right in front of us, bullets flying. Matthew 8, I'm reminded of a story there in Matthew. Jesus is healing people left and right. 
The disciples are right alongside him. And then you get to Matthew 8. They get on a boat with Jesus. Jesus takes a nap. And a storm just comes out of nowhere. And the disciples freak out. And scripture says they go in and they wake up Jesus. We're going to die, dude. That's my translation. What are you, what are you going to do about it? And Jesus' response is, you have little faith. As if to say, don't, don't you realize that the guy you got here in the boat taking a nap is the same guy that's been healing and healing and healing each paragraph before? Did you, did you forget that? Oh, that's right. Um, there are times when in our life we don't remember who we're in the boat with, do we? We don't remember we're in the boat with the creator of heavens and earth that can stand up and say, shh, and calm the storm, and it calms. We forget that truth. We, we're a forgetful people. The more you know about your God, the better off you'll be when you war against the flesh, life's pain, and Satan's opposition. But I've also found that it's not just what you know about your God that will help you in those hard days. It's not just what you know, it's what you can recall. Because a whole lot of us know a whole lot of stuff. But isn't it amazing how much we forget when the pressure's on, when the heat's on? Why do you think in the military, in sports, in business, in school, they make you practice, 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 practice. Do it again. No, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I did it right. Do it again. Do it again. Why? It's so that you know automatically what to do. Why? What do they know that, that we don't know? What they know is, is that when the heat's on, when that linebacker's staring at me from across the line, blowing snot bubbles, and he's coming for me, everything's just going to go, right? That happened many a days. I'd get there. I called the play. I'm the one that called the play. I get to the line. I'm looking at this guy, and I'm looking at this guy, twice the size of me, and it just goes. And now I'm standing there, and, it, and, and I would try and play it off like, Okay, I'm, maybe I'm going to change the play or something. But really, I'm only delaying because I forgot what the play was. And I'm the one that called it. When the heat's on, those things just elude us, don't they? That's why we not only need to know things, we need to know things to a degree that we're able to recall them in the heat of battle. Um, we tend to be forgetful in the face of... Satan's opposition, life's pain, and certainly even in our flesh. Isn't it uh, frustrating to you when you read through Scripture and you see that God is faithful, and he's faithful in some big, massive ways, like the ark and uh, splitting rivers and um, just amazing stories. And then the next chapter, you see Israel, in, in essence, forgetting what kind of God they serve. And they start whining and crying, where's our God? What has he done? What have you done with us? And, and from the outside, it's pretty easy for us to look, look at it and say, well, don't they remember what he just did in the last chapter? <laughs> it's a little bit frustrating, isn't it? I was thinking to myself this morning, what if um, the replay of our life were run back in regards to God's faithfulness? Would our life reflect how faithful he is to us? Or would it, would it be sort of the same story? God's faithful. We get in a jam, freak out, cry out. Where are you, God? I'm right here. He's faithful. Whew. We're good for a little while, get in another jam. Where are you, God? I think we tend to go through some of those same things. 
And uh, maybe this morning my goal is, is not to say that, that that pattern in you is necessarily wrong. I think it's part of our humanity and, and our sanctification process. I think it's how God teaches us in this life. But this morning, more than anything, I want to say to you that, um, that you're not alone. Men, um, this Father's Day message is meant to encourage you and say to you, you're not alone. The best of men in Scripture struggled deep down within their hearts. And they battled and they wrestled with God. And this Christianity thing, it's not meant to be complicated, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. And, and I get that. And, and we all get that. As we look around this huddle, there should be an encouragement. We all get that. David got it. The king himself, man after God's own heart, faced his share of difficulty, didn't he? In fact, we benefit tremendously from the Psalms because on more than one occasion in his Psalms, David lets us just watch him struggle. We get to just hear him pour his heart out and be very honest in a way that we probably aren't as honest today, even with each other. But this is King David, a man after God's own heart. Turn, if you have your Bible, Psalm 42 and 43. Psalm 42 and 43. And I'm not going to preach this to you. I'm really not even going to teach it to you. I'm just going to let it play out in your heart. It's a soliloquy. If you know what a soliloquy is, it's, uh, it's one man basically sharing his heart out loud. He's talking to himself here. And as he talks to himself, we get to listen in. And so he's not, he's not worried about sugarcoating it for his own self, is he? He's going to tell the truth. And what you're going to see here in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, which really maybe could be one long psalm, we've separated them. What you're going to see here in three parts of this soliloquy is you're going to see David down in the dumps, reminding himself of truth, encouraging his soul, reminding himself of where his hope comes from. And you're going to see just this roller coaster through three sections of Scripture. here. Watch this. Psalm 42, verse 1. Familiar passage, As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Isn't it interesting that we're a deer, we're not a camel? And we get thirsty pretty often. It shouldn't be a strange thing for you to know that you are going to thirst for your God. You understand here he's not talking about physical water, he's talking about the, the water of the Spirit of his God. He feels separated from his God. He feels like a deer without water, and he longs. His soul, his most inner man, is struggling here. Panting for water. You get that picture of a deer? Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Not a dead, irrelevant Unaffectual God. David longs for the God who is alive and well and strong in his life and powerful in his life. A protector God, a provider God. That's who David longs for. Has your heart ever been there? My heart has. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. You ever had those nights? Where the only thing you have to eat, only thing you care to eat, the only thing you do eat are the bitter tears 
that come from your own eyes? That's David right here. That's where he is. That's where his soul is. Longing for the presence, the power, the protection, the provision of his God. Longing for the food that, that will feed his soul. When all he can taste are his own bitter tears. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? How does David feel? He, he feels like his God is absent. And he feels like those who would oppose him are mocking him with those very words. Where, where's your God? When all this is happening in your life, David, where's your God? Verse 4. Important verse that he's going to repeat in each of these three sections. These things I, what's the word? Remember. By the way, what did Christ tell us to do? Do this in remembrance. You think, you think we need to be reminded? Do this in remembrance of me. These things I remember. He's going to talk some sense back into himself. He's going to speak truth back into his own soul. These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving and a multitude-keeping festival. What does he think back to? He thinks back to worship in the temple, worship in the tabernacle. He thinks back to where he was with God, in the presence of God. That is food for his soul. He reminds himself of worship. He reminds himself of where he was in the presence of God. Verse 5. Here's the end of the first section. Why are you then in despair, O my soul? After speaking truth to himself, he comes back with a question to his own soul. Why is it that you would despair? Uh, the, the word could also be translated there instead of despair, cast down or literally thrown down. That's how he feels. When he speaks to his soul, he says, why is my soul like it's been thrown down on the ground from a high place and crushed? That's how he feels. You ever feel that way? You ever have those days? You ever have those seasons in life, in your family? David did. But after speaking truth, reminding himself, remembering truth, he comes back and says, why? Why are you in despair? Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. He goes back to truth. See the encouragement He brings to His heart? Do you ever have that conversation in your own heart and mind? Life looks like this. But God, I remember days like this when Your presence was thick. I remember being in Your house, being joyful. I remember leading in song. I remember being the one who shouted the loudest. And then you speak back to yourself, but why do, I, why do I feel like this right now? Ever have that war? And then he finishes with truth in that section. Why have you become disturbed? Hope in God. Hope in God. Verse 6, he starts over. Oh my God, my soul. My soul is in despair within me. It's literally cast down within me. Therefore, what does he do? I remember, for from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and Mount Mizar, deep calls unto deep at the sound of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves has rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. 
and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to my rock, what kind of God does he serve? He serves a God who is sure. It's not a shifting foundation under him. His God is a rock. But at the same time, he's got questions, doesn't he? What's his question? Why have you forgotten me? He feels both. He knows both. And that's just the truth of it sometimes. And then he asks his soul a question again. Why? Why? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As if to say or infer, it shouldn't be that way, but I do it anyway. As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. Are they mocking him once again? Yeah. Is there spiritual warfare going on here? Is Satan helping fuel this fire within his soul? Absolutely. He's got, he's got guys coming alongside David saying, where is your God? Are you sure he hasn't left you? Are you sure he exists at all? Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 11. Repeats verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Talking sense back into himself. Speaking truth back to his own heart. Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance. You know what your countenance is? You ever, you ever understood what your countenance is? Your countenance is when you, it's that thing when you can, you can just look at someone. When you meet someone and you, and you just look upon their face and you, you can sense in just their demeanor or in their facial expressions or even sometimes just by looking into the, the windows of their soul through their eyes, you can sense in what we call their countenance what kind of day it is, what kind of spirit they have within them that day. Is it up? Is it down? Is it disturbed? Is it confused? Is it scared? Is it encouraged? Is it discouraged? Is it, is it joyful? And that thing where you could just look at someone sometimes and, and just tell what kind of day they're having, that's what we call a countenance. And David reminds himself that his God, his God is the help to his countenance. Now, the start of the third soliloquy. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against the ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. The roller coaster continues. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Is that true? No, it's not true. He knows it's not true. So he asks himself yet the same question a third time. Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why do I let that do what it's doing to my heart and my soul? Why do I let it rip my gut? The way it does. Cries out to God. Send out your light. And your truth. And let them. Your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Don't let the circumstances lead me. Let what you say lead me. Your light. Your light that, that casts the darkness away. Your truth that, that casts lies away that would have our heart going this way instead of staying sure. Send out your light, O God. Send out your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill in the midst of his exile right here, you might call it. David says that I can find a place in my heart and soul that is likened to the holy hill of God. Help me to find it, God. Let your light and your truth bring me to your holy hill 
into your dwelling places. Do you notice where David finds peace, rest? You notice where it, it seems to be over and over here? It's in the dwelling place of God. It's on his holy hill. Earlier in verse 5, he said it's by the help of his presence. It's not his strong arm. What David longs for is his presence. I remember when I was in your house. And I was singing songs of praise to you. You know what, you know what the answer to David's soul is? It's the presence of God. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my, what does he call God? Exceeding joy, verse 4. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. He'll end up back in worship. Verse 5, he repeats the question. And he repeats the truth. Why are you then in despair, cast down, my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. The help of my countenance. Literally, the salvation of my countenance and my God. Did David have days like ours? I think he did. Days where we, uh, we seem to be miles away from the God who's worked miracles in our past. It's amazing how the miracles seem less like miracles in the heat of the moment. In the heat of the battle, God doesn't seem as big as he does in the days of the miracles, does he? And he seems afar off. And sometimes it feels like our heart and our soul is going up and down like a roller coaster. And the only thing we can do is remind ourselves of the truth of who our God is. How's your memory when the heat is on? If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to know that it isn't always going to be easy. In fact, difficulty might just be the norm. The answer to the difficulty, the answer to the hard days of Christianity is to keep your memory sharp. There are other secrets. There are other, there are other ways. But I've got to tell you that, that keeping your memory sharp to the faithfulness of your God is one of the most important. Rule number one, walking with God may be, don't be forgetful. Um, my seven-year-old's favorite excuse, I forgot. You heard that one? He uses it all the time. Grady, I didn't ask, I asked you to pick up those toys, right? I forgot. Son, didn't I just say this? Oh yeah, dad, I forgot. Son, you can't punch your little brother in the face. I forgot. We need reminders, don't we? Scripture would indicate that we do. Remember some of these verses? Paul would say to write the same things to you again. Brethren, is no trouble for me and it's to your benefit. Paul often repeated himself. He would say, think on these things. The idea there is to constantly think on these things because we easily forget. Scripture would tell us to hide the truth of the word in our heart, to write them on the doorposts of our home. That's not just decoration. So that as you come and go, you would be reminded of the truth, that anchor of your soul. Talk of them when you rise and when you walk and when you sit down. So this Father's Day, 
this is really a message for all of us. But if I direct it to our men, I would say, men, that whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, you leave a heritage behind. At the end of your days, you will leave a heritage. Do you know that? They'll have to figure out something to put on your tombstone. And your kids will have to figure out something to write about in an obituary. And in the summary of your life, what might they say about not just your best days, but about your worst days? About the hard days? Let it be said that you hope in God. Let it be said that when your soul is cast down, that you speak truth to it and bring it right back up. Let it be said that you remember your God's faithfulness. Let it be said that your soul runs to Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that, uh, that Your Word is honest and that it tells us the truth. I thank You that it doesn't give any indication that uh, things should just be rosy each day. And many who are here um, face the pain of life. And it weighs heavy on their souls. And um, many can count the seasons in life where they've seen you faithful when they were, when they were flat on their back. Lord, would you remind us of your faithfulness? Would we see you as that loving Father who not only not only longs to be with us, but you know that in your presence is the best place for us to be. You know that your presence is, is a benefit to us. But Lord, would we draw near to you? Even, even on the hardest days, would we draw near to you? Like the prodigal son, when we seem far off, would we come to our senses and would we run to you only to find that you're waiting for those who turn their heart to you, Father. You run to us. The word says that as you saw him from afar off, you ran. Lord, that comforts our soul to know that uh, in this roller coaster of life that is even within us, in the innermost man sometimes. We feel up and down and, and tossed to and fro. It is encouraging to know, Father, that as we turn our, our heart and soul towards you, you're right there for us. And you run and you embrace us. And you strengthen us and you feed our soul. Lord, help us to remain connected. Keep us from being afar off. But when life throws its hardest days at us, when our flesh rises up and when Satan would war against us. Lord, help us to turn quickly to you. To fall into your embrace. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you just uh, why don't you just stand and um, as we sing this last song, we're not even going to put the words up. I just want you to pray. And uh, why don't you be thankful for um, the body of Christ that you can huddle with.
Why don't you thank God for maybe a family that you can huddle with? And why don't you thank God for um, His Word? That His Word speaks truth to us and it is food for our soul. Even when we are starving and we feel parched in our inner man. And why don't you pray for those who you know are sick and who you know are, uh, who aren't here with us right now because they're gone on vacation. People who are traveling to visit family. People who, who need encouragement. Why don't you pray for them in this last song. Why don't you stand and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.